Welcome to the Pull Apart Podcast. This is Josh Heiser here with... This is James Prophet. James Prophet. <laughs> we are here to talk about a new feud. One of our one of our favorites, I think, especially for me at least. James, is it one of your favorites? It is, yeah. The match quality is... I'm going to ask you about this in a minute, but it's so good on this feud. So we're, you, I think we mentioned it in a previous episode, but Adam Bomb versus Bam Bam Bigelow. Like that level? No, that's that's not the feud we're doing. <laughs> oh, okay. Man. I thought you meant that was the level of the match quality. Okay. Yeah, that's one of our favorites, Adam Bomb. We got four parts coming up about Adam Bomb and Bam Bam Bigelow. <laughs> no, we should it's... cover every television segment they ever had together. <laughs> two minutes per episode. <laughs> no, it is Shawn Michaels, the Heartbreak Kid, the icon, Mr. WrestleMania, Showstopper, main event. Versus the Phenom, the Dead Man, the Owner of the Streak, the Lord of Darkness, the Conscience, the Reaper of Wayward Souls, the Undertaker. So how you doing today, James? Pretty good. Um, daughter woke up at three last night, had to awesome. use the bathroom, and I think it took me till about five to go back to sleep. Got up at seven. It's eight a.m. right now. Yeah, we usually record in the afternoon or lately evening, and today just because. Our schedules are what they are. We're recording at 8 a.m. on the 4th of July. So <laughs> God bless America. We're going to talk about Shawn Michaels and Undertaker. But um, Should we have done Lex Luger versus Yoko You know, Zuna? I thought about that. Maybe if we would have like released this on 4th of July. <laughs> right. But since this will probably be later in the year, we are putting a bunch in the in the can, as they say, because... Uh, We've both got big summers coming up. Yes. And um, so, yeah, but I think just getting together and talking about WrestleMania on 4th of July is celebration enough. <laughs> that's America. I'm sure that's what everybody listening did a few months ago mm-hmm. when it was the 4th of July in real life. Um, they, they watched Lex together. Luger versus Yokozuna. I mean, I do that. I already did that this morning. Oh, know? nice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> James, do you have any thoughts before we get started? I do. Um, So there's a few things I want to go over. First thing I want to ask you, going in from memories, match quality speaking, from a match quality standpoint, do you think this might be the best feud in WWE history? From memory before watching? Before we go any further with these feuds, like just based on your memories. Well, I mean... To be that guy, I kind of thought that about the first feud okay. that we had. I I can't remember. I know this is dumb to go to Meltzer already, but I can't remember if Meltzer ever gave any of the. Yeah, he gave the. He gave Helen the later cell. ones. Yeah. yeah. No, he didn't give the later. Like notoriously, didn't give the later ones five stars. I think. Okay. Anyway, um, Mania Ten. That's like an all timer. SummerSlam. That one. I don't know. I, I go like just. So far, and also my terrible memory, I'm going to go with the first feud. Okay. A.K.A. It's all down here from here, listeners. <laughs> um, but 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 I would not be surprised if this changes my mind after we go through everything. Okay. Cause for, so for today, we're going from the very beginning, which was 1997. Yep. 
to all the way to later on in 1997. <laughs> so we we will have plenty to come um, that I have not I have not rewatched those WrestleMania matches in a long time. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe since I don't know I've okay I can't remember I remember being as like the the token Sean fan a little bit lukewarm on some of those matches. Oh wow! Uh, okay. Not I not like a hater, but just kind of like. I didn't see what all the fuss was about at the time, so I'm sure that I was wrong and that they're great, but I'm interested to see how that goes. It's funny that you say that because with WrestleMania 25, the near career-ending moves or the uh, accidental landings, as it were, really took me out of the match. And so the first few times I watched it, I thought it was good but i couldn't really get that emotional investment because every time i'd be like that's way too risky i was really worried and i think i've seen it about a dozen times now and now i love it you know now that they're both perfectly fine or at least we're after that match yeah taker still having high quality matches (laughs) in 2019 (laughs) that goldberg match had a great five minutes and then it went three minutes longer but It was really good for five minutes there. Okay, next thing I wanted to bring up, and this is kind of getting into um, literary waters again. Of course. (laughs) Getting into literary waters again. The theme of revenge. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, so in Hamlet, the hero is the represent... I have something I'm going to read here, okay? In Hamlet, the hero... Yeah, favorite Shakespeare play. Yours, too? It's up there. Okay. Macbeth. Macbeth. Oh, okay. Macbeth's good. All right. So in Shakespeare's Hamlet, the hero is the representation of society and mankind, blinded by a lust for revenge, which steers him down the path of evil. Inevitably, this path leads not only to his own death, but the death of his family, the woman he loves, and ultimately the destruction of the throne of Denmark. In this story... The path of revenge leads to the birth and eventual death of DX, the emergence of Cain, and ultimately the death of Shawn Michaels' career, not once, but twice. Well, I mean, first of all, you're throwing out spoilers left and right here, James. I'm assuming a lot of our listeners are watching all of these matches for the first time. Well, think of it like Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) We're just going to give everything away right at the beginning. And also... (laughs) Hold on. Easy. Either yeah, you can't you can't crap on Romeo and Juliet in every feud. I, I'm not gonna crap on Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> so, all right, about revenge in books like Count of Monte Cristo, Tale of Two Cities, and um, Princess Bride by William Goldman, aka S. Morgan Stern, in that book, they sort of glamorize revenge. Tale of Two Cities, I don't know if it glamorizes it so much as it justifies it on occasion. But then there's stories like Wuthering Heights, Oedipus Rex. Again, we've just mentioned Hamlet and Romeo and Juliet. Every Tarantino movie. Yeah, that speak. Well, these stories speak more critically. Of okay, gotcha. Sorry, no. Yeah, those are yeah. glorifying. Yeah, Tar- sure. Tarantino movies definitely celebrate it. So there's kind of a famous quote that says, "Holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die." So this has been paraphrased like a hundred times. It's hard to find the origin of it. The earliest one I could find was by a Buddhist commentator in the 5th century. And if you're a wrestling fan, this really kind of got displayed at the end of the Bruno-Larry feud, or after Bruno ultimately wins the cage match. 
Larry shakes his hand, like, graces his arm, and Bruno, like, yanks it away, and he's just still, like, unhappy and bitter. And then it's, like, the next Saturday where he kind of says, like, I had to let go of everything, and, you know, I'm ready to just be done with my career and retire. And so this whole thing about revenge not being healthy uh, plays itself out here with the ultimate way everything unwinds, but we're going to get to all that later. Yeah, I one thing I thought going into a few things one was just like how how long they were saved from each other so i didn't look it up but they were both in the wwe wwe well sean was in the 80s right late like 89 1988 was when yep. they made their television debut and taker was like 1990 1990 yeah so six or seven or seven or eight years they had never wrestled is that that's is that true they've yeah. never wrestled i know they say that in um their first match, but I didn't know how true that was. But yeah, they've never on TV at least. I don't think on any kind of crazy, or... especially like the the roster wasn't that big. Like you think they would have just done it at some point, just out of necessity. They used to be really good at that because not every match on TV had to be a star versus star match. They could do jobber matches, and they had a lot of jobber to the stars characters. They would save matches intentionally. And and also they didn't have as much time to fill back then. So it's like yes. an hour of Raw, like they could do two matches and they'd be fine. And so there'd be more time. Whereas now it's like three hours of Raw, two of SmackDown. You do feel like they four hour pay-per-views once throw away some mania, <laughs> like main events for Raw main events sometimes. Yeah. Which is fine. It's just a different it's just a different animal. So No Mercy last year kind of or year before I guess kind of famously had that Cena versus Reigns match just yep. randomly announced four weeks out. Uh they had the Shield triple threat at a battleground pay per view. Both those could have main evented WrestleMania yeah. theoretically. So that makes sense. Back then it was uh just different landscape and the other thing kind of going along with that is how this feud didn't really seem like it was starting out as a feud with those two, you know, it was more Sean Mankind, Taker Kane, like that, uh, four way, you know, just those two against each other. And then it slowly morphed into a Sean Taker feud. Yeah. It really came out of the blue a lot. And we'll get to that. Cause the first match we're going to cover SummerSlam 1997, Undertaker defending his title against the man who you said had the best feud there was, best feud there is, best feud there ever will be in (laughs) WWF history, Brett the Hitman Hart. It's true. And we are not uh, intentionally going in sequential order here. It's just we picked this this feud as just another one that we thought had a lot of content and that we love to talk about and happens to kind of pick up where we left off with... Uh, Brett and Owen. So it's 1997. Attitude Era is like slowly bubbling up. Uh, some of the stuff we'll talk about today, I was trying to remember the timeline because you'll see Sean and Triple H, well, then Hunter Hurselmsley together, and like that's just not identified yet as the Generation X. Um, so it's just kind of like very, it's like bubbling up. It's about to happen. Yeah. All right. So, 
going into this feud, SummerSlam 97, we should probably explain the stipulation. So here's what's going on. Undertaker has the belt. Bret Hart is declared the number one contender. And this is sort of resolving something that was set up at WrestleMania 13 where there was tension between the two. Um, Bret kind of offhandedly says, if I can't beat The Undertaker, I'll never wrestle in the United States again. And the story is that the promoters went, okay, well, we're going to put that in the contract since you said it. And Brett kind of felt like he got screwed there because everyone's out to screw Brett, man. It's just the way it is. I feel like I've heard this before. (laughs) And so if The Undertaker loses, he loses the belt. Brett loses. He can't wrestle in the United States, which would be like a On American soil. Right, yeah, on American soil. And this is where Brett is part of the Canadian Heart Foundation and really hates America. Yes, so good. We get, during this run, Brett gives the quote, if you were to give the United States of America an enema, you'd stick the hose right here in Pittsburgh, (laughs) Pennsylvania, which is amazing. But then going into it, Shawn Michaels, I think one week or two weeks out, comes back after about a six-week absence maybe, and says that he's been made the special guest referee for the match. And so the story is he went to management, said, I'd like to be the referee. And they said, sure. And Shawn Michaels is in this deep, heated feud with Bret Hart at the time. And so the stipulation on Shawn Michaels is that if he cheats one way or the other, then he's also not allowed to wrestle in America again, which is his home country that he loves. So it's sort of you have all these combustible elements. Undertaker's unbeatable. Brett, it's funny because, like, you know going in, you know Brett Hart's going to win. Like, Taker's been champ since WrestleMania. They've kind of, Brett's sort of been the top heel. It's time to switch the belt. So you know he's going to win. And they put this stipulation in the match where, okay, for sure Brett's going to win. It's almost like they're telegraphing it. Or he's going to WCW. But, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> but it's The Undertaker. So there's also that thing, like, well, he can't beat The Undertaker. So... That seems unrealistic, too. They had really made The Undertaker look unbeatable for the last seven years. And then they put Shawn Michaels as the referee, who is Bret Hart's arch enemy. And they're like, okay, so they're not going to go together. You know, like, it's not going to be some secret thing where Bret and Shawn work together the whole time because that would have been really stupid. That would have been a dumb out. You know it's not just going to be the Hart Foundation cheating. That would have been really lazy. And so you just sort of have this crazy setup where even though you know the ending, the big question is how are they going to get there? So, James, do you know who booked this match? I'm just curious if you know, like, at the time, who that would have been, because it's pretty brilliant. I don't know. I Typically, Pat Patterson gets credit for finishes, so he may have been the finish guy. Which is what what we're talking about here, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the match is so freaking... I love this match. This is maybe my favorite SummerSlam main event. This or Cena Bryan. What about you? Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, I had not seen it in a long time. It's and, so uh, good. It holds up so well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of like like looking back, like you think, like, hey, would a match between you know two of the best wrestlers ever with one of the other <laughs> best wrestlers ever as the ref? Like, but still, you never know. I mean, there's plenty of duds in there. Like, I mean, I I, I hate to rant the SummerSlam that we went to, Sean and Vader. I mean, I love it for nostalgic reasons, mm-hmm. but there's some some botches in that match that are you know, it's not like every time Sean stepped in the ring, it was a five star classic. Right. So. Well, I know Sean's not in this match, but <laughs> to quote Lawler from this match, 
He said Sean is the kind of guy who would be mad at a funeral because he's jealous of the corpse. Yeah, he wants to be the center of attention so all it, the time. It makes sense. Um, and they tell you right up front, they said one way or another tonight, Shawn Michaels will find a way to be the center of attention. Yeah. Um, Taker, Brett comes out, does the Canadian National Anthem. Awesome. This is, Great yeah. Move. And when Taker comes out, this was during the time where instead of doing the slow hand raise to turn on the lights, yeah. he'd throw his hands straight up into the air, and there'd be a thunderclap, and the lights would all come on. And so Bret Hart is so good with these, like, little details. Yeah. When Taker's standing there on the stairs about to do it, you see Bret kind of, like, raise his arms up and clench his fists a little bit, like, and his shoulders tense up like he's bracing himself. And then The Undertaker does it, and Brett's whole body shakes, and then it shakes again, and he kind of throws his arms, like, up in the air a little bit, like, pulling his elbows in even more, and it's so cool. And I, and I think I caught him saying the F word when he startled him there. Yeah, um, yeah, right, on, like you were saying before, right on camera, Brett cusses. He does not care. <laughs> I, I kind of love the, the reactions to Taker back in those days, because it's a hard line to to draw is like I am so scared of my opponent that you know you don't want it to seem like you're you have no chance and Brett I feel like does a perfect job of like putting him over as like a, a intimidating scary guy but also not like he's a, a pansy or anything it's funny that you say that because one of the things I brought up here was Bret Hart's trying to bring morality back to the WWF at this point yeah there's this FDR quote where he says courage is not the absence of fear but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear and so Bret the villain is willing to face his fear in The Undertaker to try to bring morality back to the WWF title. Such a hero, at (laughs) least in Canada. (laughs) But yeah, back to the Canadian National Anthem. I love that so much because that's such a a jerk move because the Canadian National Anthem is not like, to to most Americans, it's not, we don't know all the words. It's not like a very lively tune it's just kind of like a and they play the whole thing they play the whole thing like and he just nobody's singing it so brett's respectful. like kind of into the brett hart way like slowly mouthing the words <laughs> quietly to himself you know i love it it's such a great like how do we make brett hart a heel i'll make everybody listen to <laughs> oh canada our home and native land so this is the first time Shawn Michaels has ever refereed a match. This is going to come into play here. This is part of the story of the match. Mm-hmm. So the first mistake he makes is, like, basically I said, if Taker lost by Heart Foundation interference, that would be really lame. But they still have to do that because that's the obvious out. It's sort of like Money in the Bank 2011. You have to give the obvious answers before you kind of give the surprise at the end, right? Yep. So Owen and Brian Pillman come down to the ring to watch the match. Taker takes control, he leaves, and knocks them both out. Then Sean notices, because he's, again, he's sort of you know, paying attention to the crowd a little bit. Mm-hmm. And when he notices Owen and Pillman, he jumps out of the ring while the Undertaker re-enters it. And then Taker hits one of the highest, best-looking choke slams of his freaking career on Bret Hart at this moment. It's pretty awesome. It's so good. Uh, he covers. Bret's down. His shoulders are down for three, but Sean's out of the ring with Owen and Pillman telling them to get back to the back. He misses the pin. And then in another cool storytelling spot, Taker hits a clothesline, and he's selling his leg at this point. Anytime Bret Taker fought, Bret would always go for the leg, which was really cool. Um, t- 
Taker kind of staggers to his feet, and while stumbling around, he kind of yeah. This is near the end, you know, like his legs killing him. He's taking a beating this match, and so after he hits this clothesline, staggering around, he does like the weakest looking throat cut that he's ever done. Just like okay. Finally, I'm getting here, and he hardly has any energy to even signal for the tombstone, which I thought was cool. Yep. All right, the finish. Yes. My favorite finish to any match ever. You want to describe this? Oh, you're good, James. Okay. Well, can I say before you start, I have yeah. one one quick thing about. I love how, like, with Brett, and I know this isn't about Brett, but um, making him a heel. You hear wrestlers talk a lot about their move set. When they become a heel, they have to change some of their moves. And I love how for Brett, like, they just slightly tweak some of his classic moves. Yeah. So, like, in this match, he has um, one of my favorite go-to moves of his is the elbow from the second rope. Mm-hmm. So, the, the, <laughs> yeah. the first time he does it, it's to a uh, opponent, like, his opponent's got his back to him. So, it's kind of like the same move, but, you know... It's a little bit more heelish. Yeah. And then the second time he does it, he gives double births to yes, the crowd. Yes, that's what I was so, remembering. <laughs> like, just like, it's still Brett, but it's just like mean Brett. Yeah, they're in New York. He just sort of looks around at the crowd, throws both arms up with the awesome. double birds. So good. If it was Steve Austin, those hypocrite American fans would have cheered him, though. That's <laughs> true. They would have. <laughs> All right. So, again, this was something they would do every so often at WWF around this time. They did it at Over the Edge 98, where, again, they'd book this impossible scenario where you kind of knew, okay, guy A has to win, but they set it up so that guy B would have to win almost, right? So this is the thing. Like, Taker is near unbeatable. Shawn Michaels is Brett Sarch's enemy. There seems to be no way for Brett to leave with the title. So here's what happens, Okay. <laughs> Shawn Michaels, again, has to call it right down the line. And Brett is going to leave, and this is a Brettism, the SummerSlam with the belt. The SummerSlam. Um, so Shawn Michaels kind of gets knocked down for a minute, okay? Brett goes out, and he grabs a chair. And this is where the finish happens, okay? So he beats on The Undertaker with a chair. This finish... Sean gets knocked down, possibly accidentally, by Brett outside the ring. Brett grabs a chair, Sean's recovering, and whacks Taker with it. He covers, and Sean slides back in and counts two. Now, Brett argues the count. And then Sean sees the chair in the corner of the ring and goes to grab it, and he shows it to Brett. And Brett knows that Sean didn't see anything, so he just kind of says, like, that's not me. And he goes back to kicking Taker. And Sean grabs Brett's arm and whips him around and threatens to DQ him. Brett yells, did you see something? And he knows he can't get DQ'd on speculation, right? right? So Sean yells something like, do you think I'm an idiot? And then so Brett kind of looks sideways like he realizes I'm supposed to be beating up The Undertaker. He's going to come back any second. But he hates Sean so much he can't stop himself, (laughs) essentially. So, again, cussing right in the front of the camera. So Brett, this is, you said this is your, the hero, right? Yeah, the guy okay. trying to bring morality back. Yes, okay. Brett yells, F you, <laughs> right in Sean's face. <laughs> Sean says something back, and then Brett spits in his face. Okay. Sean uh, sells the spit, <laughs> kind of turning half sideways. And Sean's got this chair in his hand. And part of the Shawn Michaels character is that he's emotional, he's reactionary, okay? He's not a strategist. He 
does it all, you know, out of his heart, theoretically. Yep. So he gets spit on, chair in hand, biggest a-hole in his head, just did it. Sean steps forward, both hands on the chair, and swings it harder than I've ever seen anyone okay. swing a chair before. Now, Brett is looking right at him when he does this. So he dives out of the way. And this is exactly when The Undertaker's getting back to his feet. And wham! Chair comes down right on the top of The Undertaker's head. And it's insanely brutal looking. This is why chair shots were banned. (laughs) It is. It's rough. Yes. And then so, back to the cussing right in front of the camera. Shawn Michaels mouths the S word at this point. And Brett, and again, like this awesome character moment. He just sort of calmly drops to his knees and does his typical cover, like kind of holding The Undertaker's arm out. And Shawn Michaels just stands there, and he has this moment where he realizes he's like, screwed. Oh, yeah, he either has a count or he's not allowed to wrestle in America again. Yeah. So he goes down, hits one, looks up, looks Brett right in the eye. Two, looks Brett right in the eye again, and then counts three immediately slides out of the ring and turns his back to the whole ring in frustration. He's pissed at himself. Brett just kind of calmly gets up and does his, like, typical pose, like, hey, hey, look at me. Yeah. I'm the champ. <laughs> yeah. Crowd just erupts into booze. Um, there's this awesome moment, by the way, when Sean hits that chair shot on The Undertaker. I forgot to mention this. The crowd... Like, you suck the air out of the arena. It's amazing. It's like you can almost simultaneously hear 50,000 people go like, (gasps) it's so good. (laughs) Yeah, they start throwing trash in the ring, which is, at the time, like, pretty rare, I think, in WWE. I don't know if they're just able to keep a better handle on it. I mean, you see it in, like, Ring of Honor, and you saw it in ECW and stuff, but... I don't remember seeing trash thrown into the ring a whole lot no. in, in WWF back then. Yeah. No, there wasn't. There wasn't. And when the count, like, hits three, you can almost hear the crowd simultaneously yell, No! Yep. <laughs> it's so cool. Just a way to, like, put over all three dudes in one match. It's kind of... Yeah. That's why it's like... I think we kind of got... Some, to the point in the Attitude Era later on where, like, this kind of finish happened all the time, where it was, like, just schmozzes, and we got burnt out on them, and mm-hmm. you forget how good, like, some of the original ones were, like this one. Like, didn't, like you said, didn't see it coming, didn't have any idea how it was going to end without it, you know, making somebody look bad, and this made everybody look great. Yeah, and the one big thing was, like, the other ways they had out would have made the WWF look bad. Right. It would have looked uncreative, yeah. cliche. Um, They lifted this in 2003 for a Rob Van Dam versus Triple H Raw main event, but at the time, an ending like this, at least in the WWF, in the last 10 years, had never been done. 10, 12 years since I've been watching. Yeah. So the fact that this could happen didn't even cross my mind. Like, oh, maybe Sean will accidentally cost Taker the belt. Like, that didn't occur to me going into this. Yep. And and it also sets up so many things in the future. Like, mm-hmm. it still sets up more Sean and Brett, more even if you want him, Brett and Taker. And then, 
obviously the feud we're talking about today is Undertaker and Sean. Yes, and this was a bold move strategically because Brett, your possibly top star, is a heel. Sean, your other possible top star, is now also a heel. Undertaker's a face. He's the third possible top star, but he's always been this, like, on-the-edge face. You know, it's like, I'm going to take my kid out to see the dead guy wrestle. You know, it's not the biggest, like, family-friendly face of the company. Right. Austin is injured. It's still a question mark if he... Well, I guess he just got injured. Yeah. But, you know, it's that thing where, again, he's middle fingers cussing, you know, that'd be a risky top face. So you're really, at this point, you're burning the ships. You're going, we're all in on the Attitude Era. We're not leaving a safety net. We're not looking back. Okay, so after this... um, what do you have anything you want to add about the SummerSlam match? No, I um they I I will say like they they did hint a little bit towards uh, they talked about the commentators talked about um Undertaker's ongoing thing where Paul Bearer keeps bringing up his his brother. So they they just continued that that narrative. I don't remember how long that had been going on, but even with like the short amount of time that I watched what we watched for this i was like oh my god get on with it so i don't know if that was months and months or just a few or what but so can i i, I have an answer of for course this. all right in april of that year so summer slams in august in april undertaker was the new champion and paul bearer was managing mankind and he started hinting that he had a secret about the undertaker and then that, when Taker successfully defended against Mankind, that led into an angle where per- Paul Bearer blackmailed The Undertaker and said, if you don't make me your manager, I'm going to tell the world your secret. Because Paul Bearer wants a cut of the WWF Championship matches, I guess, right. the, that money. So Bearer manages Taker for like a month or two there. And then Taker finally gets fed up. He attacks Bearer. And, like, demands to know what the secret is. And Barry starts screaming. And, like, the secret is that, like, Undertaker was a murderer, is what he says. Like, you killed your family. And Taker says, like, there's an accidental fire. You know, my little brother Kane died in it. Um, I accidentally set the fire, blah, blah, blah. And so that was the secret that the Undertaker didn't want the world to know. He was very ashamed of it. And so later, when... Taker was about to beat up Paul Bearer. Paul Bearer starts screaming, Kane is alive. Kane is alive. And so at this point, you know, like, okay, we're going to get a Kane character. And going into SummerSlam, Paul Bearer had done something, and Vince McMahon on commentary said, well, I'm sure we're going to see Kane at SummerSlam. I wonder what else we're going to see at SummerSlam. <laughs> and again, if you don't think, if you think bait and switches to the WWF are right. new, they're not. They're doing yeah. them in the Attitude Era. They've been doing them just like every wrestling company all How along. How long can we hold off on the Kane character, essentially? Is... Right, yeah. And so going into SummerSlam, it seemed like he was going to debut. They actually had Paul Bearer wander down to the ring, and Taker punched him. Yeah. And that was it. That was like the tease, and they never delivered on it, which I love because I think it would have taken away from the match oh, a little bit sure. here. Yeah, that would have yeah. been bad. Like it does at the cell <laughs> match. Okay. So the Raw after SummerSlam. They kind of break down what happened, and I love the way they did this, okay? So, again, it was seemingly accidental that Sean hit Taker. 
So how they do this is they say, we ask some of the fans coming coming into the arena today what they thought about the way the main event transpired last night. And every clip they show is of a fan saying, as far as I'm concerned, Shawn Michaels can go home and stay there. I'm done with him. You know, he shouldn't have been swinging a chair. He wasn't supposed to be involved in the match. And so they're letting the fans, like, seemingly, you know, they're picking the clips they show. Right. But if you don't think about it like that, it's just like, oh, the fans are dictating the narrative that Sean is the heel in all of this. Right. What did you think about that? Yeah, um, it's it's pretty brilliant. I thought, like, well, for one thing, I was going to ask you, James, real fast before we start uh, this episode <laughs> of Raw, just to talk about the Patriot a little bit. <laughs> okay. Because I think, like, some listeners are probably hardcore fans and know all about him. But most probably have no idea who the Patriot is. Okay. And it's kind of weird in hindsight looking back. Like if you just pull up a, a Raw like this or a SummerSlam or whatever, you know, like my, like my wife, for example, would know Brett, Owen, Taker, Sean, all those people, mm-hmm. even like Sabio Vega or something. But the Patriot, like, huh? Like, why? Who is this guy? <laughs> Was he someone they were pushing for a while? He was new at the time, so Patriot is a wrestler. He had a really good look. He had a luchador mask that looked like the American flag. He was about 265. He was like 6'3". Like, he was a big guy. He looked good. He had cool tights. He had Kurt Angle's entrance music. Yeah, that was <laughs> yeah. weird. I so, forgot about that. Yeah, he had wrestled in Japan. He had been the champion of this federation called Global Wrestling Federation that was on, I believe it was ESPN maybe for a minute, a couple years. And then they brought him into WCW. He did decently well there. He was a tag champ. Was he the Patriot in WCW? He was, yeah. Okay. He was the Patriot. The guy's name is Del Wilkes. And then he got picked up by the WWF in 1997. And so right away, this is like right in the heart of the USA versus Canada feud that's dictating the narrative. He beats Bret Hart with v- through a Shawn Michaels distraction on Raw. Yep. And this sort of sets him up as the next top contender for the title in the pay-per-view after SummerSlam. So, and then he got injured, and they never brought him back. Okay, that's what I was I, like, whatever happened I to him? I think he got injured, and I think he had like a drug problem he's talked gotcha. about since then. And he's cleaned up, thankfully. He seems like a really nice guy. Yeah. But, yeah, he never really made it back to the WWF. It's just bizarre, because it's like, what, like a six, 12-month window or something where... He was on a lot of the main, like he main evented, what was that? It, yeah, um, it was like six months tops. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he got a title shot. He had two pay-per-view matches with Bret Hart, one single, one tag. And again, that's the top pretty much except for the main event at that point. It was crazy, yeah. Gotcha. It's almost like a Hogan villain from back in the day. Like yeah. they'd bring these guys in, they'd be a huge name, they'd fight Hogan, and then they'd be gone like three months later. I know this isn't the same at all, but it kind of reminds me of like Mark Marrow, like yeah. somebody that they hyped up so much and was like like kids would love it you know like the the crazy jungle dude or like the crazy american luchador guy and it almost makes me wonder if like the attitude era was just not the right time for them you know like it was a weird fit yeah having having more like gimmicky stuff just kind of didn't work when you had like austin and sean being the way they were. And 1997, speaking of the gimmicky stuff, this never gets talked about. People usually remember it very fondly. And there were there was a ton of great stuff in 1997 in both WWF and WCW, even ECW at the yeah. time. But 
if you revisit those Raws, there is a lot of unbalance. It's like they want to go to the Attitude Era, but it's like they keep hedging their bets, and they can't fully decide. Like, they'll do that, like, okay, we got Austin, he's cussing, and then they'll be like, and here's Rockabilly, Billy Gunn, with the Honky Tonk Man. Yeah. And this very, this these things that, like, don't fit at all. And it's almost, I think the booking team at the time was Jim Cornette and Vince Russo. And you can really see, this is the Southern influence. This is the New York influence. Right. And so Which this, one won out? <laughs> yeah, the strengths of both guys and the weaknesses of both guys yeah. are on full display there. It's a good way to put it. Yes. All right. Okay, so, sorry, James. I no. was just, the Patriot comes up a little bit here, so I thought okay. I might want to give some context. All right, so after we get five or six talking heads of fans all blaming Shawn Michaels for The Undertaker losing, we get a Shawn promo. Yes. Josh, what did you think of this? Your guy. <laughs> so <laughs> so for this one, he says stuff like... Um, and he gets a mixed reaction coming out. Yeah, this is what was kind of confusing me because it, in my memory, Shawn was always like the number one guy for like forever and... <laughs> would never not be the number one guy like the good guy you mean or well just beloved so okay. like i think i kind of forgot about this time where heels actually were booed even if people liked them so you know we, i'm sure we've talked about this a lot i can't remember. we talk about it all the time like after the attitude era where it's like austin is the bad guy but everybody loves him mm-hmm. so like in this scenario sean is it's being a jerk like talking about you know Everybody putting in his lap, and he's had stuff in his lap plenty of times before. Just like they want to throw all this in the lap of the heartbreak kid, but believe me, the heartbreak kid has had plenty in his lap before. Gosh. Crude things, and <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like the crowd is actually booing him, and I, I can't help. Maybe it's just not my bias. I'm like, why are you booing him? It's freaking Shawn Michaels, you know. <laughs> So that that was weird. I like I said in my head he was always number one. Um, and so seeing him as like not even like good or bad, but also just not the the top guy. Like it's just kind of bizarre. And I guess he is because we do see. I, I was I had this for later when he wrestles Taker a few different times. There's Brett championship matches before the Taker and Shawn matches. Uh huh. So I guess like he. He is still the number one guy, but I don't know. I, I guess I'm just wanting him to be on all the entire episode of Raw the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Two hours. Of Why Sean. are other people getting screen time? Monday Night Sean. <laughs> if he was on Raw the entire time, at some point one of the one of those strip teases would have went too far. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was always hoping for, James. So one thing I wanted to bring up here that cracked me up. Vince McMahon is really growing as an interviewer yeah. here, okay? So, in, like, the Brent Owen feud, the Bruno Larry stuff, the Andre the Giant thing I mentioned in a previous episode, Vince needs a quiet, intimate sit-down one-on-one, one-on-one to really start stirring the crap. Here, he doesn't. When Sean gets in the ring for his interview, the first thing Vince says, without even saying hello, is he blames Sean for Taker's loss. Yeah. <laughs> so Vince is right there with the fans. <laughs> Saying now, Sean, you cost the Undertaker's title. This is your fault. And then Shawn Michaels, like, again, he was a face a week ago. Yep. And there had been no hints of, like, any tension between Sean Taker. But like a true heel, Sean instantly makes himself a victim while ignoring his part in the whole mess. Sean says that Vince Taker, Brett, and now the fans are trying to dump this mess in his lap. 
He says it was his first time as a ref. He caught it down the middle. He did a great job. But now everyone's mad at him. Neither guy brings up that Sean was the one that asked WWE to be the referee here. Vince hits that note next week. But uh, Vince asked about the conspiracy question, saying, are you in cahoots with Bret Hart? Uh, Sean says, and I quote, yes, and Montreal will be a work, you marks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he calls McMahon a nimrod. He's really trying to get that word over I in the next say, few weeks. He does. Yeah, he says that word a lot. Yeah. It... <laughs> so um, one thing about this, like, we don't have to go too deep into this, but is this... Is this a straight-up heel turn right now, like, for Sean? Because he kind of says, you're either with me or against me. Take your pick, because well, I don't like, care. Like, the crowd starts booing, and he says, like, I've given you 10 years, and this is the kind of respect you give me. Like, yeah, it's got all the the makings of a heel turn, but it's not, like, usually listed in, like, the heel turn moments. Maybe because it's not um, just, like, a direct, like, time. It's more, you know, evolved, but... Well, there is a magic catchphrase, okay? okay? So anytime anybody turns heel, if they're heel turn promo, they will use the words, and I quote, each and every one of you. <laughs> and Shawn Michaels indeed says each and every one of you in this promo. <laughs> ten years, ten years I've given you, and this is the respect that you give me. Each and every one of you can go to hell. Well, it's kind of it's like you said though. It's it's kind of genius because um, it's putting the kind of like the half heel, half face taker as the full on face of the of the feud. Yeah. So it gives it some sort of direction. Yeah. Instead of making make trying to make Sean the face and Taker the heel, which would have been a little bit hard. At right. The time. They're not trying to go like pick which side you want. It's right. like no, we're all for the Undertaker. Yeah. He's getting vengeance here, and so. Uh, they've already, during this promo, Vince says that Sean might lose his smile when he has to face the Undertaker at Ground Zero. That's my wording, not Vince's. <laughs> and then Sean goes full heel, using that uh, each and every one of you phrase. He threatens Taker with a super kick, and then the gong hits. Can we call the Undertaker's like initial theme song the Magic Dong? <laughs> <laughs> you can, <James>. Okay. <laughs> so the Magic Dong hits. And, um... Sean leaves. Vince re-enters with the microphone. Undertaker enters and um, seemingly just kind of tells the fans he's not concerned with the belt just yet. He's done too much talking lately anyway. It's time for him to go back to the two things he does best. No selling mid-card offense and fighting mankind on pay-per-view. And he tells Sean, <laughs> I think he says like taking souls and like burying bodies yeah, or something so like that. So I have a few notes from all of these different Raws that we're going to talk about. Where okay. I'm trying not to to take this stance 100%, but like, is Undertaker terrible at promos? <laughs> like, yeah. First off, I'm not coming out here and telling you how mad I am or how bad I am. <laughs> or is it just his gimmick and he can't like when he was the American Badass? I guess he had a little bit more leeway. But as the Undertaker, I mean, I think he says "rest in peace" twice in this like thirty-second promo. And now it's time to get back to doing what I do best, and that's taking souls and making people rest in peace. Shawn Michaels. You're going to have to look me in the eyes, and you're 
you're gonna have to pay for your crimes. And you will rest in peace. So, there's a big difference between, like, the... Uh, let's go all the way back. It's like, 88, I want to say, is when they started doing these, like, vignettes where it would just be one guy talking to the camera, right? They flirted with it a little bit before then, 85, 86, 87. But typically, it would be, like, Mean Gene interviewing somebody before that. Then they just started doing guys getting 30-second clips. So it'd be like Brand, Bad News Brown going, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, you think you're a patriot? Well, in Harlem, we don't care about patriots. We care about surviving. And I'm going to lay you out. And just something like that, right? Yep. And so Taker was great at those salad promos. Paul Bearer would you know, talk in his high-pitched voice, and then The Undertaker would say like his three to four sentences, yep. end it with rest in peace. And that was awesome. But we're getting into the era of, like, 10-minute promos on Raw. And it's hard to maintain mystique when you have to talk for 10 minutes. So... So he was he. Do I think don't think he was just, bad, but he wasn't as cool. They did the best they cool. could with what they had for that, or do you think they could have done it any differently with with Undertaker's promos? They were sort of finding their way. Like this again, this was like the beginning of the ten minute thing. So I yep. think it was trial and error. I think they could have done better, but well, and I think too, like we were saying with the gimmicks, like he's he's kind of the last. I mean, I'm sure there were a little bit more, a few more at the time, but he's kind of the end of the the true gimmick era. Yeah, but he's too good. To like be the Patriot or Mark Merrow, where you're like, see ya, you know, like you gotta have him still around. And it's pretty much the best gimmick of all time. Yeah. Too. yeah. And so I, I get it. It's just some of these, like, like you said, when you're, when you have that and you're out every week on Raw, and it's like everybody gets so excited because his entrance is so awesome. Yeah. And then he comes out and he just says something dumb like that, and this is kind of like, wah, wah. but like, <laughs> but everybody still cheers because the Undertaker and who cares, but. Mm-hmm. I just think it's kind of interesting because his, I don't know, the further we get into it, and we'll play some clips, but some of them are just kind of rough. Like, <laughs> he just, I feel like he just pulls from a grab bag of like just edgy things to say, like taking souls and burying bodies and just like anything from like a Rob Zombie song that he can pull. <laughs> hey, Bill. That pro- hey, Bill. That <laughs> promo where he says, and then I'll dig through the ditches yeah. <laughs> in my Dracula. Um, the next week, Jim Ross interviews Shawn Michaels, and Shawn's funny mankind later that night. Yep. Shawn says he had a job to do as the referee. He did it. Uh, this is where he tells the fans the Diesel thing, that you're with me or you're against me. Yes. Take your pick. I'm fine either way. He calls Vince McMahon a nimrod again. And so I have real fast. Uh, something yeah. about Shawn. Like, so he's supposed to be, and they, they definitely go... Uh, more into this later, but he's supposed to be like super cool, right? Like, he's the cool guy. He's like the popular kid in school, and he of. comes to the ring dressed like my uncle Danny. Like, <laughs> so, I think, was this cool in 1997? I think some of my cousins listen to this, so you guys know. No offense, but he's got a green pocket tee tucked into khaki shorts. Yes, with that's a brown right. belt and like penny loafers <laughs> and he's like out there dancing around like a stripper and has long hair like it's really a weird mix this is your favorite of all this time this is my right? favorite of all time excuse me while i shudder in my loafers nickname i will be honest with uh with the listeners i did text james at one point during 
watching some of this and was like, was Sean on drugs? <laughs> I can't remember what period of time he was because if he thought that outfit was good, just, maybe he was. Maybe I don't know. Some some of this is just like kind of weird. Um, I mean, it's like Taker. Like some of it's just all goofy. Like you have the Undertaker, the Dead Man, who's <laughs> you know happened to come out there and give promos, and Sean dressed like. I don't know. Like he's dressed. In the American really Eagle catalog circa, circa 1997. Oh gosh, yeah. Uh, Sean calls out. Spe- speaking of which, <laughs> okay. the crowd starts chanting that Sean is gay, which I guess was a thing back then. Again, we talk did. about this. It's socially acceptable to some people. It was never okay. <laughs> this is what makes me a wrestling fan embarrassing sometimes, especially back then. And he just stops and says, Why don't you ask your sister and your mama how gay Sean is? Hey. He's doing that dress like... Whenever somebody says golfer. that, yes, yeah. <laughs> I always wish they'd like take the next step because then it becomes really stupid. Yeah. To ask your mom and your sister because I've had sex with them both <laughs> when I inserted my penis I into mean, their vagina. I mean, that's a lot of people telling the whole crowd, you know, like that's a lot of people. I, well, Sean got around, I think, <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> Sorry, James. Go no, on. I was. I, I, he called out Vince McMahon for not having what Bret Hart would call the jam yes. <laughs> to tell him personally that he had to fight Mankind on Raw. And uh, Sean invites Taker. He says, watch me smack around the guy who beat you up and pinned your ass over and over. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty cool. And then he, Shawn Michaels, again, kind of playing the victim here, says he's on the WWE's hit list. And he threatens Sergeant Slaughter, the brand new commissioner, telling him to stay out of his way. And then Slaughter comes out to the ring uh, saying that his decisions will be for the betterment of the WWF, not the betterment of Shawn Michaels. And he tells Shawn, either put up or shut up. Start doing your job, which is wrestling. And Sean kind of says, since everyone's against me, including the commissioner, um, I've acquired an insurance policy. And we don't know what that means, but... Another tease. Another tease. I know all of you are after me, so, like always, I'm thinking ahead. You see where I'm going? And the heartbreak kid, once again, feels that his life is in danger, thus requiring a small, well, maybe not so small, a big insurance policy. So, uh, Dude Love gets a promo about Mankind's match tonight. All Mick Foley, yeah, this is super fun. (laughs) Uh, This is short and fun, not unlike Renee Young herself. (laughs) (laughs) And so, Sean just says, like, you're a nut job. I think he calls him a Nimrod, too. He's really trying hard to get Nimrod over. (laughs) He says that he he wants someone to come knock him out so he can wake up in the 21st century, which is a pretty good line, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. He reiterates that he has an insurance policy. And then they, they have a random, like, kind of commercial break promo for Mankind where he says he hopes that uh, Sean's insurance poli- policy is a life insurance policy, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah, that's such a good line. <laughs> Foley had, like, the best one offline sometimes. Yeah. Triple H for this match comes out to the ring. And so you wonder, is he the insurance policy? Is Sean like full heel for real now? Because, again, he was such a good guy. So at the time, Hunter was... He was feuding with Mankind. And he had China, right? And he had China. So that was his kind of thing before he was ever 
Right. Triple H. Yes. So there is no Shawn Michaels Triple H on screen association here. Okay. Like there had been nothing prior to this. This was just sort of random. Triple H is out at ringside because he doesn't like mankind. Match happens. It's about eight, ten minutes, right? It's a raw main event. I didn't think it was great, but then they had like one of the best matches of all time the year before. Yeah, so Yeah. Um the insurance policy is ravishing Rick Rude. Yeah. And so um, Triple H at ringside trips Mankind. Rick Rude whacks Mankind in the back with a chair. And then Shawn Michaels hits chim music and the match is over. And then The Undertaker's music hits. He appears. And something cool here. Shawn Michaels is in the ring when the music hits. Mankind is on one side recovering. Triple H, who, again, isn't a friend of Shawn Michaels, is on the other side. And then Rick Rude is kind of out front. And Sean sort of looks back and forth like he's afraid to go out on Mankind's side because he doesn't want to get into a fight there. He's afraid to go out on Triple H's side because he thinks that might lead to a fight too. The other side is like the crowd, and I don't because the fans hate him, he thinks he can't go through the crowd. Right. So yeah, I, I forget who it says. Probably Lawler. Michaels has no place to run. It's pretty good, like right. framing of the situation. Yeah, and so he's stuck in the ring. Taker's on his way to the ring, but before Taker gets there, Paul Bearer arrives and says Kane is coming soon, and that's Keep how we waiting, fade off everyone. the air. <laughs> Keep waiting. <laughs> okay, James, I have a a question for you. So during that match, he, I forget who it was. I think Sean put a garbage can over Undertaker's head or vice versa. What, do you Mankind remember? Mankind's head, you mean? Sorry, yes. Okay. But what I was getting is the commentator started talking about ECW. Yeah. And Lawler says that he wants to put Tommy Dreamer in a garbage bag. Okay. Like, And Vince keeps trying to cut them off as if they were talking about something they shouldn't be talking about. What is going on there? All right, so... <laughs> WWF was working with ECW at this point. They had let ECW have about half of a Monday Night Raw episode back in February that year. They had mentioned their first pay-per-view a couple of times on, like, you know, kind of between segments. Like, ECW will be having a pay-per-view in two weeks. Got barely but they were legal. still separate, though, right? They were separate, okay, yeah. Not... They were never together. And right. so Jerry Lawler is part of WWF trying to help ECW had become an ECW talent. His gimmick was he was a WWF invader who thought ECW sucked. And he beat up Tommy Dreamer in like a surprise angle the night that Raven left ECW. And he caned Tommy Dreamer in the groin. Okay. Uh, Lawler kind of famously claimed after that he had to sneak out of the building because the fans were so mad that yeah, he was afraid he would legitimately get stabbed or attacked. That's in Pennsylvania, I guess. That's in Philly, yeah. City yeah. of brotherly love, which yeah. is one of the roughest, meanest cities in America. <laughs> Funny thing, too, you mentioned the garbage can thing. Mankind in his first book writes, like, hey, sidebars that there's just this innate human thing built into our DNA where we find it hilarious to watch somebody stumble around <laughs> with a garbage can over their head. That, that adds up for him. <laughs> yeah, he does it a handful of times. <laughs> so, yeah, so that... Um... The Paul Bearer thing at the end of Raw, that was like essentially the go-home to Ground Zero, right? Um, there was the tag match the next week, I think, right? Where, like, because of, like, Triple H being out there to hurt Mankind and then Taker wanting Sean, they kind of put this tag oh, match together yep, the following sorry, sorry. week. Yeah. So the match made by Commissioner Slaughter was Shawn Michaels and Triple H, 
who again have never been associated. One's always been a face, one's always been a heel, and their tenure together. Versus Undertaker and Mankind, who had gone to wars, I think like one, two, three, four, five times on pay-per-view, I want to say, prior to this. Mm -hmm. And so it was sort of this thing where, again, now it's totally cliche, like, can you trust your partner? But this was really fresh. This was the first time they had really done something to this extent. And um, Shawn Michaels comes out again. He says he's been painted in a corner. By the WWF, he's not supposed to have to deal with The Undertaker yet. Mankind is crazy dangerous. And Helmsley isn't any guy that he's ever had as a partner before. So this is not fair, and I shouldn't have to do this match. Right. Mankind tells The Undertaker that I might be the best partner you've ever had, or I might be the worst partner, or I might be the best partner he'll ever have, or I may end your career tonight, but you're going to have to show up to find out. So this was all kind of cool. Uh, you see Sean or uh, Triple H talking to Sergeant Slaughter backstage, and the kind of narrative is that he's essentially trying to talk himself out of having to be in this tag match. Yeah, I love that like two minute like little. Yeah, it's like I miss from stuff far like off. this. Like, yeah, you know, like in all Lost this stuff was they, like sixty seconds tops. You know, you know? like in Lost when they show uh, Shannon finding out that Boone died. Spoiler alert! <laughs> and it's from far off. It's kind of like that. Yes. Oh my gosh, that part's so or like good. what you don't hear is like kind of more interesting than what they possibly could have been saying. Yeah, that's it. You know, if you can't come up with the best dialogue, don't. Just show it. Um so yeah, they come out separately, which is kinda it's just weird seeing, you know, Sean and Triple H out there together and they're still coming out separate. Mm-hmm. Hunter's got his, you know, old His ode to joy music. Yes. Yep. So they both Helmsley and Rick Rude both trying to do a chair shot. Yeah. They both get stopped, right? Mm-hmm. And the gimmick here, sort of from the match, is that Sean and Triple H are both afraid of their opponents. Yes. So they work together as a team to try and increase their odds of surviving, and they work really well together. And yeah, we got the chair shots. Match ends when Undertaker corners Rick Rude. Um, Sean then whacks Taker over the head with a chair again. Yeah, very intentionally this time. Open. Yeah, he busts him wide open, and this is the go home moment on Raw to Ground Zero. There is a, um, I believe, a Friday night's main event that was on USA that's not on the network that mm-hmm. we couldn't see. But I think, I think this was during this time. I think we get something there, right? We're like Triple H and Sean sort of do a little teaming yeah, there, I can't right? remember, but they they show them together again, kind of just previewing the future. Do you like do you think the like Vance and them knew what they had here with Sean and Triple H together? I think it was the or plan was it the just whole time. Kind of, okay. Yeah. I mean the fact that they're friends helps, you know, they can right. have yeah. chemistry and all that, but um so for ground zero, James this is an in-your-house pay-per-view. Yes. The main event is not the title match between Brett and Patriot, which I love, by the way. Kind of an underrated I lost fast, classic. I fast forward it. You fast forward it? No, no. That's fine. That's well, fine. again, with the... Um, it might the, not be your thing, because I really love, like, Brett Backlund, you know, both those. Oh, God. If it's like that. It's not like that, <laughs> but it is... It reminds me of what I describe as, like, an NWA title match, and mm-hmm. I like those. So Dean Ambrose versus AJ Styles, where AJ wins the belt, if you remember that. Yeah. That was one of those, where it's like a good long gotcha. match with a clean finish. And kind of, it's sort of a methodical pace. Brett wins with the sharpshooter, but yep. 
Yeah, that's not what we're talking about here. So kind of in line with uh, what we were talking about, where I asked you to explain who the Patriot was to like medium fans. Yes. Can you also explain in your house? Because my wife was We're giving away a house. (laughs) My wife was watching with me on a few of these and was just basically like, why is there a house out there? Okay, so in your house started... Right now, we're in 1997. We're talking about... In your house started in May of 1995. So the first time they ever mentioned it was WrestleMania 11. Between matches, Vince McMahon turns to Jerry Lawler and says, Guess what, King? We're giving away a house. And so they show this, like, 20-second in-your-house vignette, basically. And so the gimmick was originally... They're going to have additional pay-per-views, okay? There was five a year up to this point. In your house pay-per-views, they would do one and what be... It was supposed to be one between every pay-per-view. That pretty quickly morphed into one a month unless there was a big pay-per-view. They were only two hours instead of three. They were $15 instead of 25 I think it was at the time. And typically... Like, whereas the big five would normally have these, like, really big blockbuster matches, the in-your-house matches would be sort of like, these are big matches. Like, they'd have, like, two maybe, like, big matches on the show. Something that, like, probably wasn't big enough to main event SummerSlam or Rumble, maybe. But big enough to, you know, main event a $15 pay-per-view. And then they'd have, like, four other matches that just looked interesting on paper, right? So the first one was Diesel versus Sid uh, in the main event. And because it was like a $15 two-hour show, they ended it on a DQ. And it wasn't this like, I think it ended a pay-per-view on a DQ. It was like, eh, you know what, 15 bucks, that was, yeah. that was fine. Um, that The second one was a really good show where it kind of, they blew off the Diesel-Sid feud. Shawn Michaels had a five-star match with Jeff Jarrett, maybe the only five-star match of Jeff Jarrett's career. Yes, and... Um, yeah, you still love in your houses. Yeah, the they were a blast, right? Yeah. They were, again, this is like a two-hour thing, like takeovers used to be. They were breezy. Well, I mean, like, in Mind Games was... That was yeah, in your that house. was in your house, yep. And that's, I mean... Maybe the match of the year that yeah. year, maybe. Well, it was the Slammy Award-winning match of the year that Shit. year, I, wasn't it? I thought it was Sean Brett from WrestleMania 12. Oh, I yeah. might be wrong. I I, thought, it should have been Sean Mankind I if it wasn't. I thought they mentioned it in one of these Raws that they... Had the match of the year the last the year. Maybe they said nominee. I don't know. I I do remember I being be a nominee wrong. because I remember thinking like, hey, <laughs> Sean's in multiple nominees for match of the year, even though it is put on by the WWF. Right. Still. Okay. Sorry. No. Ground Zero. Ground Zero. So the main event is Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker in this dream match, essentially, between WWF guys. It's cool how they could still have dream matches with guys in their own company. Yep. Miss that. So... The um the the by the way the promo package for this I want to mention if you like the music this is called Classical Vision One and it is on YouTube you can go look it up it's pretty cool um Sean has this super cool pre match promo where he says he's gonna end the legend of the Undertaker and then he goes why. Because I can, for God's sake, and then walks off. He was also trying to push that a little bit back then, where I think it was like he didn't know what else to say, or it was also like, I'm the man, so I can do whatever I want kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, I think he also says he doesn't rest in peace for anyone, which is kind of cool, because it's like kind of taking the only thing Taker has from his promos and yes. putting it in his own as well. So, 
one of the things we missed on the Friday night main event that is not on the network is there's a promo Sean gives. And so you mentioned how he busted open The Undertaker on Raw. Yep. Well, in that promo, Sean gets one of the best lines of the year. My favorite line of this whole feud where Sean says, if it bleeds, it can be destroyed. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And so there's Do a sign show... in the crowd that says, if it bleeds, it can be destroyed. That's awesome. Did they show it in like any of the promo packages for Ground Zero? I think they show some clips of that Friday. I don't know if they the, show that line. I remember seeing Taker with like a bandage and stuff. Like, yeah. I think that was part of from that Friday night mm-hmm. thing. So. Yeah. It's a bummer that's not on the network. <laughs> maybe someday. Yeah. Maybe someday. Funny thing here, Finkel says that the match is scheduled for one fall and then adds in something I can't ever remember hearing on a WWF telecast before with television time remaining. Yeah, I was really confused by that. I was like, am I missing something? What What does that mean? That is very Southern wrestling. Okay. You know, that's an NWA trope where they'd be like, we're going to have Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes later on in the show. Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes. They'd say it like 10 times and then... With three minutes left in the broadcast, here comes Dusty Rhodes for his match with Ric Flair with television time remaining. Gotcha. You're like, ah, oh, this is NWA. Again, they were the worst bait and switch like company they ran ever. Is out of time, or they just... They would book it like just that. Just do it on purpose. Because they would do squash matches. Gotcha. Like, you could have cut Manny Fernandez versus The Jobber. Yeah, I always think it's funny on Rawls or Smack, any, anything where you know when it ends. Yeah. Where you're like, okay, well, the finish is coming up. Yes, so Tony Schiavone gets a bunch of crap for always ending Nitro with we're desperately out of time, right, as something huge was happening. If the internet had been around in the 80s when the NWA was on TV, it's remembered fondly now. And again, I watched it as a kid. I I remember it fondly too. But again, I don't know if you guys know this, internet generally a breeding ground for negativity. I've heard. Yes, they would have eaten this alive about how dumb it all was. Poor Tony Schiavone. Poor Schiavone. <laughs> so, um, Taker comes out. Oh, oh, okay. Sean comes out first. Okay. His fireworks are mistimed. Yes. And Vince kind of says, oh, that's a bad omen for HBK. I thought that was pretty cool. I have to ask this on everything, but was I'm assuming that was not planned, right? Yeah, I don't think that was that planned. That was just Vince, like, ad-libbing. Yeah, Vince okay. picked it up really well. Because <laughs> Sean even, lo- like, looks back, like, where are you what's going on here yeah and then they go off and he kind of (laughs) just says like i think it's weird he i know he does a crude gesture (laughs) yeah yeah he gets up on the turnbuckle right by where those were and i was like uh if the fireworks were being a little faulty i don't know that i would have stepped right over top of them but he's got that devil may care attitude man so then taker comes off he gets the cool thunderstorm entrance he used to do on pay-per-view sometimes and uh, there's this amazing camera shot of somebody holding up a lighter. Basically, they zoom in on the lighter, and you can see The Undertaker with all the blue-purple smoke walking in from the background of that shot. It's just an amazing yeah. production shot there. Um, when the thunder strikes to turn the lights on, Sean, just like Brett, has his own cool cell of it, where he jumps up from being startled and covers his head like he's <laughs> expecting something to fall on it. After that, Taker enters the ring and starts to slowly walk towards Sean, and Sean grabs the ref to hide behind. 
So this was really cool, you know, Sean saying like, I'm not afraid, I'm going to put him down. But then when he's face to face, one on one. Totally weasel. Yeah, it's like, oh, crap, (laughs) what did I get myself into? It's amazing. You mean mean calculating? Is that what you mean? Yeah, calculating. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, we're five minutes into this like show, you know, they haven't even like touched to like fight. The character work's already amazing. Right. It's so cool. Taker brings him up by the house and... Beats him down up, you know, in the garden and everything going on up there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that that's, I think, before the match starts still, right? Like, yeah. So they go back down to the ring, and I think that's when, like, Sean, what is it? He, like, sneaks in or something, and then he starts beating he him down. He grabs the ref, and he throws the that's ref right. into Taker. And then so, he retreats to a corner because Taker can't get him if he's in the ropes. <laughs> it yeah, makes so sense. It, it, but there's he, a small problem that the bell hasn't rang right, to start yeah. the match yet. And so, yeah, that's where Taker grabs the ref and decks the ref cold. <laughs> yes, which is like, okay, wouldn't that be a DQ? Like, you know, just... If, this... it, if the match had started, that'd be a DQ. But oh, because okay, gotcha. it hasn't started... Gotcha, gotcha. Like, you know, Sean's hiding in the ropes because it's illegal to get somebody in the ropes during a match. But Taker just grabs the ref, decks him... And now it doesn't matter what the rules are because there's a 328-pound pissed-off Undertaker going after Sean. So what is like all he can do is run? What is the? Um, it's an amazing what's creative supposed start. To start by the a way. match that like both of the competitors being in the ring, right, and then the bell ringing, I guess. Uh, yeah, you know, like both guys will kind of disrobe their like entrance gear. Right. The referee will like sometimes check the boots for foreign objects and stuff, and then he'll yeah. ring the bell. Okay. Well, the ref had never signaled for the bell. Gotcha. And so Sean runs away, like you were saying. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter blocks his path back to the dressing room, sends him back to the ring. Taker throws another referee over the top rope and onto Shawn Michaels. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, like you were saying, he show- throws Sean into the set repeatedly, press slams him on steel steps, knocks him all the way down the steel entrance to ra- ramp, drops his larynx across the barricade, like he's Randy Savage attacking Ricky Steamboat <laughs> or something. And Slaughter does nothing about this. He just disappears and lets it happen. So it really does seem Shawn Michaels has a point right now. Everybody does hate him, and yep. everybody is against him. They're out to get him. And that being said, this is one of the most satisfying butt kickings in WWE history. This is all before the match begins. It's incredible. And Slaughter moseys back down to the ring after a while with a new referee. Shawn, um, who got thrown out of the ring, then gets thrown right back into the ring, and then right back out again. <laughs> the ref reveals that the match hasn't started yet to Sean, who had been wanting a DQ, and he tells Sean to get back in the ring. The ref goes to the timekeeper. Taker watches the ref while the ref's going to the timekeeper to start the match, and then Sean slides in and clips the Undertaker, and the bell finally rings to start the match about 15 to 20 minutes into the segment. This was amazing, yeah. I thought. I, I wonder if if that was confusing for fans because I was a little confused. Maybe it's just the time of day I was watching it. But I was like, wait, the match is just now starting? So it's kind. I don't think they did that all that often back then. It's kind of a cool cool way to do it. Yeah, yeah, they didn't. They didn't. I don't think I'd ever seen that before at this point. Actually, and I didn't see this till years later. Or even, no. like, you think that you would have seen this, but, like, I remember my wife saying that she never saw somebody throw a referee over the top rope onto somebody else. That was pretty cool. It was That That was Earl Hebner, wasn't it, that he threw? I, I forget. I think it I didn't was. Note. No, maybe it wasn't. But, uh, yeah, that just 
just kind of starting to really get creative here in, in 1997 with all the stuff. Like, I feel like they kind of, like, anything can happen now, you know? Mm-hmm. All the stuff that was kind of tropes before, like, that's all out the window and we're going to do whatever we want. Yeah, yeah. They, again, whatever creativity they were tapping into here, a lot of things were completely fresh. And that's one of the things where, again, I have very mixed feelings about the Attitude Era's quality, but yep. some of the things that made it fun were that a lot of things happened for the first time. Yep. One of the notes I made on the match was The Undertaker gives the worst low blows and the best flying clotheslines. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's weird because the match itself is not all that, like, there's not a lot to it after all of the the 15 minute match before the match, you know. Right, yeah. Um it kind of is kind of anticlimactic Taker choke slams the ref so. and gets DQ'd and that's the end of it. I mean, maybe that's like you were saying cuz it's an in your house, but so uh, there 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 were like I think two or three more ref bumps, right? Like yeah. there's the one Taker punched out, that's the one. There's the ref Taker threw on to Sean, that's the second ref. There's a ref bunt bump spot here so that was the third ref down rude comes down with breast knuckles they knock out taker but there's no ref so then triple h in china kind of now it's becoming obvious like okay they're definitely with Shawn michaels they bring a new ref down but taker still kicks out and then triple h knocks out that ref for not counting three so that's the fourth referee down and then the first ref recovers and Shawn knocks out the first ref when he recovers that's the fifth time a referee's been knocked down Taker gets triple teamed, but then he starts dominating all three members of DX. And uh, he looks like Superman here. Yeah. Kind of reminiscent of the very um, polarizing Rumble 94 where Taker fights Yokozuna in a casket match. He fights off like 10 guys before he's subdued. He just beats up DX and leaves them all lane. And this is where he does the tope where like I think uh, the Bariquas come down, maybe... There's like 10 guys and DX and Taker is in the ring by himself and he runs off the ropes. And for the first time, I think clean jumps over the top rope onto this pile of like 10 guys taking everybody down just to get to Sean before Sean runs away again. And it's an incredible way to end a pay-per-view that just ended on, was it a DQ or a double DQ? Um, I thought it was a DQ, but I don't know. I thought it was from... From that choke slam uh, to the ref, but I don't know. I can't remember. All right. So, Josh, I want to ask, ground zero main event, Sean Taker, the first meeting, what kind of rating would you give this match? I mean, it's weird because I, I don't know Like, if the uh, official rules of rating a match involve the pre-match. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so I will say the way I rate a match is – like the second it's like the, the segment starts no not the bell so it's yeah. like video Someone package or interview or... Yeah. to fade out okay so yeah then like uh four four stars four and a half stars oh, man okay yeah. i i'm higher i'm like four and a half to five i think the ending really bummed me out and i get it but like with where we're going okay <laughs> It's not spoiling anything because it's 20-something years ago. But, <laughs> like, Hell in a Cell not having a finish either, like, it kind of bothers me that oh, man. there's not a clean finish with this feud at the time. Okay, so I will, I, I will disagree here because I thought if anything deserves a chaotic finish, 
it's this match, okay. you know. It's sort of like Sean Mankind la- from the year before that had the DQ finish. Right. And it's just like, well, that fits perfectly with the tone. Well, I guess I am, like, retroactively fitting to this match because, like, I think it would have been fine at the time to not have a f- clean finish of this if we were leading to one that did. So I guess so it's not it does really bother this, you. This match's fault. Okay. It's more Hell in a Cell that I have an issue with. I will say I generally like I like clean finishes. I think they don't hurt people to lose cleanly. I don't care if a match doesn't have a clean finish as long as it means something and it's not a cop out. So I don't think that it, the debut of Kane at Hell in a Cell, like introducing a character that's twenty years, makes that finish worse. I think it makes it better. And I, this match, I think, needed the double DQ from all the chair shots and craziness I going mean, into it. You're definitely, you're right. It just, it's just a personal. Oh my preference. gosh, that sounded so good. Can you say it just one more time? <laughs> I'm it's just a kidding. Personal preference. <laughs> That's what you meant. Um, I think just like the fact that they saved it for seven or eight years, however long, like to then not have, you know, and I, and I, I can't remember. I'd have to look at at our schedule, but do they have a one-on-one like clean finish match? Not so. This is 1997. They do not have a clean finish match until 2009. Okay, yeah, that's a long time. That is a long time. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I love Kane. Kane's great, but I I just I don't I don't know. Like it's one of those hindsight 2020 things. I don't know that I would say that it was bad like booking or anything. Mm -hmm. It just bothers me. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Still great. Yes. That I I'll probably go home and rewatch that. Uh, stuff where they're throwing around Sean up by the house and stuff. Ah, so it's, fun. It's really good. It's just, I don't know. Yeah, so, so yeah, I forgot to mention that. The in-your-house pay-per-views often were decorated with a house in the background, so yes. that's why that was there. <laughs> All do right. They, do they reveal during the show who they gave the house to? Or is that was only during up? the first in-your-house. <laughs> they reveal who they gave it to. I th- want to say, like, a 13-year-old kid won it. Awesome. And it was like they got the house, but like anything with a gift, they had to pay the taxes on right. the house. I don't know if they could afford the taxes. Yeah. So kind of a problem with that right. whole thing. We we have a friend, Lori. Hey, Lori, if you're listening to this, she wants something on the prices right, and she couldn't keep it because she didn't have the money to pay the taxes <laughs> on it. And it was something where like she wouldn't get much use out of it anyway, I think. Right. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. All right, well, All right. so that's the end of this one. Next uh, next time we will begin right after Ground Zero. Going into Hell in a Cell. Hell in a Cell. Another five-star Dave Meltzer match. Yep. Yep. Another in-your-house classic. <laughs> so, yeah. You got anything else, James? I would say the so the first match we did, SummerSlam, the second match we did, I was liking the between stuff, but I wasn't, like, living for it, you right. know, like it was with Brett Owen. But these matches, the man, matches are phenomenal. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, SummerSlam is close to five for me, if not five. Same with Ground Zero. I am all in on these blow-offs, these payoffs to the I'm few. excited. I'm excited about Hell in a Cell. Yes. All right. Stuff. That'll be fun to talk about next time. Yep. All, all right. right. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody. <laughs>